Welcome to the Sustainable Future. I'm your host, Annie. In this podcast, we explore issues related to sustainability through an interdisciplinary lens, including food, health, policy, technology, and design. Each episode, we investigate and discuss the latest topics in this space through the mindsets of scientists, entrepreneurs, policymakers, nonprofit leaders, and many others. Join us as we dig deeper into these issues and explore how we can take action to the future of our environment. Today, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Sarah Singer to to the Sustainable Future podcast. At Stanford, her work focuses on applying organizational theory to healthcare. Hi, Dr. Singer. Hi, nice to see you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. So today um, we are here to talk more about you, your research interests, and um, your trajectory so far. And we'd love to start off with you telling us a little bit more about yourself and your educational journey. Absolutely. I'd be happy to do it. And I will acknowledge that we had a little bit of time to talk in advance and we discovered that we both had a, a love of English. So I'm going to go, I'll start there again and just go back to um, my college days. I was, um, I was at Princeton. Uh, when I newly arrived there, I thought for sure I would be a math major uh, and with a focus in computer science, which had been a love of mine in high school. Uh, I was allowed to kind of accelerate as much as I wanted to in those areas. Uh, So I thought I'd just keep going. But I got to, when I got to Princeton, I was a little traumatized by my first math class where uh, the teaching just wasn't really great. And I realized maybe I I didn't love it quite as much as I thought I did. And I instead uh, felt, you know, passionately for my English uh, class, which was a wonderful uh, comparative course that allowed us to look at books that were classic versus books that were contemporary that that drew on each other or built on you know the one built on the other and drew on a lot of the same themes and we studied you know Homer's Odyssey uh, versus contemporary version of, of the Odyssey and um, the professor in particular was just so enthusiastic about what he he was teaching that I thought well maybe this is my one big opportunity to do something that I don't know how I'm going to use in the rest of my life, but, you know, here's the opportunity to do it and it will expand expand my mind. So that's what I did. I was an English major with um, a minor, I guess, in your, it was a certificate program that they had at Princeton in European cultural studies. So it, it allowed me to think about the ways in which uh, the literature was situated in the culture of the time in which the literature was written. And that for me opened up a really wonderful way of thinking. So a lot of the classes that I that I took focused on the way, I mean, it goes to, I think the, the uh, con- concept for this podcast, but a lot of what we did um, focused on the way that the literature was influenced by the art of the time or the politics of the time, or, you know, the, the debates of the time, the concerns of the time uh, and to see all of the, the all of that in context and the connect the interconnectedness across all of the different disciplines and what was going on, um, so that you could really appreciate, uh, you know, each each for for the other. So English kind of came to life for me when I started to realize uh, what it was responding to in the context of its time. 
So I, that's what I did as a as an undergrad. Yeah, and so great to hear about how English literature connects to so many different fields too. And I'm wondering now that you work in a slightly different field in healthcare, can you tell us a little bit about how you got from undergrad immersed in literature, reading novels, and then becoming a leader in this healthcare space? I'll try and catch you up. But I, I will say that from, you know, one of the things that I took away from, from the particular mix of studies that I did in college uh, was this interdis- the importance of the interdisciplinary or the advantage that comes from interdisciplinary thinking. And that really has been a theme for me that has carried, carried forward, I think, in important ways. So what happened to me is I had done this work in, in English Lit and had no idea what to do with that. So I instead went off to become an investment banker found out pretty quickly that that was not where my passion lay. And so I uh, pivoted uh, again to trying to find ways of using my English background and decided to go into publishing, found a magazine that was willing to pay me. Most of them were very interested in uh, my talent, but not in uh, paying for the talent. And so I uh, hopped on with a magazine that uh, happened to be focused in the healthcare sector. And um, they were interested in me because of my investment banking background. So all of it kind of tied together. Uh, but what I, my role at that magazine was to, uh, I was a marketing manager. So I read the content of the magazine and I reframed it so that the salespeople could use the information and sell ads. So I had to read all of the editorial in the uh, in the magazine and really process it in ways that other people could understand it. So that translating function was was really important. And um, in doing that, I realized that healthcare was a uh, sector that I cared about. I had a surgeon for a father and I kind of ran away from medicine as a result because his lifestyle was so difficult. But at the same time, I grew up in the healthcare industry. I spent a lot of nights when he was on call and got called in for an emergency, kind of hanging around at the nurse's station in the local hospitals or in the physician's lounges at the time or whatever. But I spent an enormous amount of time. I worked in his office or just, you know, I kind of grew up playing in his office. Um, So I spent a lot of time in medicine. and, And so when I came upon it again in this other form, it really resonated with me and I just kind of took to, it was like second nature and taking to it. Uh, I, I looked on the masthead of the magazine thinking about where to go next. And one, there was a professor on the masthead. He happened to be at Stanford. I sent him an email. Uh, I sent him a, I guess, call message. We didn't have email at the time. It was just before, just before that. And he called me in for an interview and he offered me a job on the spot. It was Professor Alan Entoven, who's now emeritus from the business school and I came to work at Stanford. And I, uh, so I worked with him and then I pursued my MBA. I stayed on at Stanford. I worked in health policy reform for many years uh, and then decided that uh, rather than focusing on the structure of the system and the incentives and trying to get all of that aligned, that really where uh, I felt like the most, where we could have the most impact on people's health was through the delivery system and changing the organizations themselves. So if you got the incentives right, you still needed great leadership, 
organizational cultures that supported like doing the right thing on behalf of patients. You needed systems, you needed processes, you needed you know teams and collaboration, none of which there was any evidence um, was working very well in healthcare systems. So uh, later, uh, later after being here for a number of years and founding, among other things, the Center for Health Policy and Center for Primary Care and Outcomes Research, which is now Stanford Health Policy, I went back uh, to do a PhD at Harvard. And then I was on the faculty at Harvard for a number of years and I, I got tenure at Harvard. Um, I was on the faculty at School of Public Health and the medical school and also had a role at the business school. Uh, after getting tenure at Harvard, I said, you know, now I can, maybe now I can finally get back to where I really want to be for the rest of my life, which was Stanford, which is when I, I came back about three years ago. So now I think you're caught up. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. And I'm personally very glad that you are back at Stanford and that many people will be able to learn. Um, and yeah, just touching upon your PhD at Harvard, I was wondering what your work or research they're focused on. Mm, okay, so um, goes back to the work at Stanford. I had been working with Professor Enthoven. We did a lot of work on um, policy reform, uh, in particular working with the Clinton administration where they were trying to pass the Health Security Act. Um, when, it, when it failed, we got an opportunity, an invitation uh, by the then governor of California Governor Wilson to create a managed care improvement task force. Alan became the chair of that task force and I became kind of the chief of staff for a big research enterprise to support it. So we created a, uh, a, a bunch of specific initiatives to create background material for this task force to be effective. So they made a number of recommendations about how to fix aspects of the healthcare system that that at a state level, we could do something about even if we couldn't get federal reform passed. Um, and what I realized was that the things that you couldn't do through policy reform were the things that I really wanted to focus on. And among them uh, was patient safety. There wasn't, there wasn't a, a big legislative fix there. We, the problems had more to do with the way healthcare was organized, the culture of the organization and the, the systems and processes that really just weren't working. Uh, you could have had a, you might have had a technology, but you know we didn't have a good enough understanding about the roles that people were playing or should be playing, and how to communicate the roles and how to communicate the process steps in ways that would keep people reliably safe. And so I started thinking about um, safety, patient safety and um, in particular safety culture while I was here. And so when I went to Harvard, my PhD actually extended that work and I um, developed a survey in safety uh, to measure safety climate, uh, which is sort of the more superficial things that you can observe around uh, that reflect the underlying safety culture. I measured, I convinced 100 hospitals to, um, to measure safety climate and to agree if I selected them to participate in an intervention to try to improve safety climate and then to measure again. So we uh, we measured, we intervened in uh, 26 of the 100 hospitals, and then we measured again to see if we could improve the safety culture. And that was my dissertation. We actually, the, the intervention focused on trying to get um, senior leaders out into the front lines, because one of the things we knew about the culture of these places was that um, frontline workers saw a lot. 
of uh, they, you know, they they saw the hazards on the front lines, but that information didn't necessarily trickle up to the top to the people who could make the decisions to uh, that would affect the change that the frontline workers needed um, to perform their their work better. And so the intervention that we designed was called leveraging frontline expertise, and we created a program that would engage the senior managers with, with doing work on the front lines, uh, with the front lines to elicit from them in a way that the frontline workers felt felt safe about speaking up, um, to, to engage a conversation that would help the senior managers understand so that they could better allocate resources and make more supportive decisions. And you know, it was fascinating, that work was fascinating because what we found was that on average, the, um, the senior managers going out to the front lines actually had a negative impact on safety climate when you measured it again, after the fact relative to the control, the control hospitals. And we said, well, what the heck is going on here? Why is that? Um, uh, and when we went back into the data, because we also did interviews with people and, and collected qualitative information about the changes that they were, uh, that they were uh, enacting, what we found is that there were some facilities that were getting really caught up in studying the information that got collected when the senior managers went out to the front lines and others that said, okay, they gave me some ideas, let's change it, let's you know, take action. And so we compared the hospitals that were taking action versus the one that were like spending time being kind of paralyzed by analysis. And it was the in the facilities where they were taking action, we saw a big increase, a big improvement in the safety climate. And in the ones uh, where there was analysis paralysis, we did not. And so it was very interesting to learn something unexpected about what we, you know, how hard it is to get senior managers to, to intervene in ways that are productive. And then I continued a, a bunch of work to find out all sorts of ways that senior managers could intervene on the front lines that were less productive than everybody had hoped. So made, yeah. a, made a bit of a career out of, out of that trajectory. Yeah, this, this is so interesting to learn about. And I can't say how important this work is given the many inefficiencies in the American healthcare system and that fact that we can be able to improve um, patient safety um, at hospitals is so critical. And I was just curious, so you mentioned safety climate, and I was wondering um, what really constitutes uh, safety climate in hospitals? Oh, so that's interesting. We th so a um, colloquial way of thinking about what safety climate is or what safety culture is, is just the way we do things around here. So that's how people de describe culture. It's this, um, uh, it is uh, the kind of deep underlying, values, beliefs, norms of behavior that you can't even, you know, it's almost hard to describe. You just live them. Um, you, uh, as you, When you're a part of it, it's the things you take for granted. The safety climate is the, is the superficial things that you can observe that are reflective of that underlying culture. So you might um, you might see a policy that the leaders put in place, or you might see, um, you know, things on the wall that describe, you know, what the hospital is promoting or, or something, the way it presents itself. Those more climactic features are things that you can ask uh, workers about in a survey. So you can ask them about, you know, do you think you're, you know, do you feel like your leaders are, are supporting you to do the right thing all the time? That, that kind of question. Um, 
it is indicative of that underlying culture. And, um, uh, and so we call what you measure safety climate and what the actual under, underlying aspects of um, what's going on in the organization, we call it the culture. It's a little, it's a wonky nuance. Got it. Okay. Well, lots of new terms and very important, I think. Not many professionals do have both a, an MBA and a PhD. And I was wondering um, kind of what motivated you to pursue both of these professional tracks? Yeah, so that's a good question. When I went to Professor Enthoven to ask him about going back to school, I said, should I do a PhD or should I do an MBA? And he said, well, do you want to teach? Do you want to be a professor? And I said, no, I really want to impact healthcare. And he said, well, then go get an MBA and do that. And at the time, I was actually looking at um, joining one of the new tele telehealth companies. The electronic medical record was just kind of taking shape and organizations were starting to try to do it. So I, I literally had accepted a position um, at, and I was you know, going to go take it. And I remember being on spring break and I came home and there must have been a dozen phone messages from Professor Enthoven saying, forget that job. I know I recommended you for it, but but I need your help to work on health reform. Um, it looks like the, the Clinton administration is going to be, uh, you know, elected and they've come to me for my ideas about reforming the health system and I need help. And you're the one who knows my, my work the best because I had previously done that work with him. And so I said, okay, policy, um, policy is it. And as I, the more I did the work in policy, the more the work of policy focused on system reform, meaning really getting the incentives right, getting the information that was out there right. What I knew from, from my MBA and from research that I had done looking at healthcare organizations, I just felt like the system reformers were missing a giant piece of the puzzle, which was with like what's going on within and across the delivery system. If you want to achieve health, it's the organizations that are trying to deliver health that need to work well and the incentives alone. Yes, they need to be aligned, but alone, you're not going to accomplish that goal. And so I just thought there was too much attention on the policy, not nearly enough attention on the organizations. And because I had an MBA, I actually had an, an advantage there. So when I went back to do the PhD, I did it at Harvard, at Harvard University, but in a specialized track within Harvard Business School that allowed me to focus on um, healthcare organization and, and like, the, like fixing the delivery of healthcare, which is really what I wanted to do. Um, but, you know, as you say, I, I know our time is short and I, I'm going to need to go soon, but I just wanted to come back to your original question around kind of the importance of interdisciplinary work. My work is very interdisciplinary and it is in a, a bunch of different ways. So because I have that policy background, I recognize how important it is for uh, for organizations to attend to policy changes. And so when I look at what, or, you know, what's going on in organizations, I do it with, with a sense of kind of what's going on in the policy realm, because I know that the organizations are responding to, to that. And so it is a constraint within which they are operating. And so it limits their ability in certain ways. Sometimes it spurs them to do things. Otherwise, in other ways, it limits their ability to do certain things. And so I'm cognizant of that. So I wear that, you know, policy and management 
divide, I try and bring together a little bit. But from an, uh, I also firmly believe in the importance of the intersections between medicine and management, engineering, computer science. I mean, I came back from Harvard to Stanford because uh, the campus is co-located and because the uh, the people working in different schools and different disciplines have an attitude, uh, an inclination toward collaboration and an interest in understanding how the different disciplines can come together to come to more innovative solutions. So I am a huge advocate of bringing in the engineering teams and the, and the business school profs and, and others to the health system and uh, or other health systems to try to test their theories or apply their theories in healthcare settings because they're incredibly complex and it tests those theories and it pushes them beyond. And because I am I'm confident that those different sorts of approaches will have a, a positive impact on or have a potential to have a positive impact on health delivery. Health delivery could benefit from enhanced management for sure. Um, the, the management sciences know how to um, create better systems and, um, and better teams and you know, better cultures. The engineers really know how to you know, reform, revise and improve processes and to do it continually. And so the more outwardly we look as, a, as medical care systems, the better uh, and the greater our potential is for learning from those disciplines to improve uh, what we do. And because what we do in medicine is so critically important to you know, people's health, um, we, should be, we should be kind of embracing that, that interdisciplinary, um, interdisciplinarity of uh, the potential that Stanford as a, a place you know, has to offer. So I'm all for interdisciplinary thinking and interdisciplinary work. And a very much needed perspective in this space today. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that. And last but not least, since this is a podcast focused on environmental sustainability, I was wondering if you could speak a little as to how businesses and companies can um, help promote the health of um, the environment and employees through like the different tools of policy and management as we were talking about. Absolutely. And I'm so glad um, to take a minute to get to this, um, to this question, because my own, in my own pathway, I've realized that uh, medicine has only a limited uh, capacity to improve health, which is the thing that I've always cared about. And I think the thing that we all care about and, and that, so, you know, I've begun to look outside the medical care system for ways of, you know, ways and organizations that are contributing to health. Uh, and the more I think about what is health, the more we realize, and especially in the context of the current um, pandemic crisis, which is not just a pandemic crisis, it's an economic crisis, but it is also, you know, caused by and, um, and impacting the planet in various ways. And so we, we begin to realize these connections. Um, and so, thinking about the ways in which um, human health and planetary health are connected is critically important. So um, I have had uh, a great opportunity to focus on the business sector's role in creating what Robert Wood Johnson Foundation calls a culture of health. And so it's really been quite a privilege to get, you know, to be charged with thinking about 
this, what is a culture of health and what is the potential for business to have an impact there. So we're working through, we're working with a framework that says businesses can impact uh, the health of their employees through the um, through the environments that they create in their in their businesses and through the you know programs that they offer the you know the insurance that they provide and the opportunities for kind of health and wellness benefits and those sorts of things but lots of opportunities to impact employee health um, they have opportunity to impact um, consumer health through their products and services we don't do nearly enough to hold businesses accountable for the the health enhancing, potential of their products. You know, we have very small safety, you know, um, safe occupational safety kinds of hazard uh, requirements, regulations that we impose, but we need to do a whole lot more to measure the health impacts of businesses, products and services and start asking them to do more in that area. Um, environmental impact directly is another huge opportunity for businesses. So we, there is a little bit of regulation there. Fortunately, we're beginning um, through uh, consumer and investor and even employee efforts to demand more of businesses with respect to their environmental footprints. And then lastly, um, their role, businesses' role in community, um, I think is enormously, um, ha- is enormously important and has potential for impacting uh, both human health and uh, you know societal health and and ultimately planetary health. They are uh, they are among the biggest um, uh, uh, you know they have the biggest footprints in communities and they have these outside opportunities to to convene and to serve as anchors, bring people together and to promote um, uh, whatever the community needs and defines as opportunities to improve its own health. So businesses need to step up. Uh, you know, students um, as, you know, as a group, as individual consumers, um, and as investors need to help to hold businesses accountable. Um, So go forth and, and, you know, raise a little ruckus, I say, to um, make it happen, because we need, businesses really need to be engaged in order to turn, turn things around to make it better. Yeah, that's a really important area that I think businesses can take a bigger step in in helping address all these problems. And I totally agree that uh, medicine has a limited capacity to improve health and we must consider planetary health as well. Um, Well, Dr. Singer, it's been an honor to have you today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I I hope some people listen and enjoy the recording. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of The Sustainable Feature. Be sure to tune in again next week to once again get a sneak peek into the pulse of the future of sustainability.